This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. Thanks so much for tuning in because this is a conversation, this is one of them at least, that I never thought would happen. It features Dean DeLeo from Stone Temple Pilots. I've been listening to this band for the better part of 30 years. Maybe not the better part, but at least it covers that period of time, if you catch my drift. Ever since the album Core was released in 1992, you see I went through a boarding school and some of the kids, they lived abroad and they'd bring back these exotic albums and you'd think, who the hell is this band? Only to see them blow up a year or two later in Australia. But we got to hear them first. Anyway. The conversation comes about due to Stone Temple Pilots' appearance on the festival under the Southern Stars, which covers around 10 dates in Australia, all across March. I'll leave Australian listeners to go across to the Under the Southern Stars website to check out those dates. It's very simple to do that, underthesouthernstars.com.au, and you'll get all the information you need. I talk about the bands that will be appearing on the festival in the conversation with Dean, so no need for me to be doing that here. But let me just say, yeah, this is one of those chats that is a bit of a dream come true. Wow. Okay, so on that note, Stone Temple Pilots, great band. But what band could possibly... It's not that they're better than Stone Temple Pilots, but they have more relevance in my life, and that's the reason that I'm going to share with you here in the introduction if you are listening via the podcast app. Unfortunately, I cannot play music on YouTube. So for those listening via the podcast app, talk show. Those eagle-eared listeners will already be aware that I've had a conversation with the fella who was the singer that Dean and Robert DeLeo roped in to sing for talk show in the absence of Scott Wyland, that being Dave Coots. Dave and I still exchange emails. He's a great fella, I've got to say. And talk show, their tune, Hello, Hello. In my humble opinion, it is one of the finest tunes that the DeLeo brothers have put their signature groove to. So here it is, and once it's finished, we'll get to the chat. As I said, if you're listening via YouTube, we're going to cut to the conversation right now.
Andrew. Dean, how are you going? Very well, man. How are you? Great. Mate, thanks for taking the time out to have a chat. Appreciate it. Of course, man. Of course. No worries. How much time have we got before I kick things off? We, uh, th- this is Eunice here. We, we've got uh, about 20 minutes. Okay. All right. Never enough time, is there? But that's okay. <laughs> it's all good. Hey, Andrew, they, they keep me on a tight leash around here, man. <laughs> I do these things. I wouldn't say I do these things for a living. You know, being an indie podcaster is all about the passion and the thing. But the amount of conversations I've had where you get about halfway through, you get about halfway through the list of questions and it's time's up. It's like, ah, I've actually written a book about it. True, true story. So, and, and Dean, you will definitely be in my next book. There's no doubt about that because I've been, uh, I'm going to fan out a little bit here. I've been following you guys for, is it about 30 years now? It's 30 years. Can you believe it? 30 years? 30 years since core. Unbelievable. Wow. Well, let's see. Yeah. Yeah. I guess about 1992 that came out. 91, 92. My, oh my. No, it's just, um, does it, does it feel like it's, it's been that long though? No, I don't think so. You know, um, I um, I lived my life kind of sideways at a very young age. So there's a there's a big arrested development involved here. Mm. <laughs> nice work if you can well, get it. <laughs> no, I, I still I still feel like I'm 20. The body doesn't quite want to react as if I'm 20, but I still feel like I'm 20. I drive my wife crazy, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Well, you, you make you're keeping young, but you're in a great band, and it's it's wonderful to see that that you're a participant in, I think it's ten or eleven under the Southern Stars shows across Australia, and many of them too. I don't know whether you're aware of this. Many of the shows are in regional Australia, so they're not being held in the capital cities. And and I can tell you, people truly appreciate that that a band of your size and stature is playing in regional Australia, because apart from local bands, of course, they wouldn't really see. Uh, international bands of your stature. But that alludes to another point, which is that you must be aware that across Australia, and no doubt you've had this feedback already, that we love Stone Temple Pilots. So was it an easy decision when promoters asked you to play alongside of Bush, Cheap Trick, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club and a heap of Aussie acts on these these Under the Southern Stars shows? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, we... um, I, I absolutely adore everybody in uh, all the bands you just mentioned, you know, that one time or another, I spent a lot of time on the road with each one of those guys, Black Rebel, Bush, and Cheap Trick. At one time or another, between this 30-year career, we we were all on the road at one point or another. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, aside from just, you know, musically speaking, artistically speaking, you know, there's just uh, a humanistic side of it that I just love. I, I love these guys, you know, and I love when we get together mm-hmm. and hang out. And, you know, um, there's nothing better than getting a, getting a text from, from Rick Nielsen. We start talking about some old Roy Wood or something, you know? Yeah. But, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've made some great, great friends along the way. And, uh, of course, you know, I, I, you know, cheap trick. Come on, man. I mean, I, you know, first and foremost, you know, I, I, I'm a fan. I, I, I bought those records at a very young age when they were coming out and I, and I actually saw cheap trick, uh, at the Capitol theater in New Jersey in 1976, man. Mm. And, um, you know, it was just those records that you put on and you just couldn't believe what was coming out of the speakers, you know? And, you know, these, all these years later to now, like 
be able to call these guys my friends. And uh, I don't know, it's just, it's just been a beautiful transition uh, for me, you know, and, and I just mm. I really cherish it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's, uh, <clears throat> I think we, we, of course, as a lot of the States has been New York, California, we've been in lockdowns now for a long time, particularly in Victoria. And I, I think you're the first serious show that's come through town. So I would anticipate, mate, that these things are going to be um, chock full of old fans and new. So, uh, and the other thing too, please, if you're a wine aficionado, a lot of the regions you're going to are known for fairly good wine. So hopefully the promoters can hook you up with some decent red and white wine there. Okay. Sounds great. <laughs> I want to just talk about, um, and apologies if I mispronounce the name of the album, but is it Perdita? Perdita, yes. Perdita. There you go. You took things back a step on, on that album. Do you think you'll return to the, a full-on rock and roll sound maybe on uh, on the next album or sometime in the future? Uh, well, I don't know, man. Um, you know, that was just a, um, a snapshot of what we were kind of doing at that point in time, you know? Um, mm. um, you know, there's always a lot of material floating around this band between Robert and I, and Jeff is very, very uh, proficient as a writer, and uh, he, he keeps right up because, you know, you got both Robert and I throwing song after song after song at him. He he really can keep up. He's he's uh, incredible that way. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean we're we're sitting on a lot of material as we speak, and yeah, it's it's kind of all across the board as 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 mostly songs are with Stone Temple Pilots. You know, we we um we kind of like to let it hang out all over the place. You know. You do, yeah. Well, you're known for your dynamic sound. And your first three albums, look, they're practically issued at this point to anybody who calls themselves a rock fan. And they're far surpassed, as you as a band, are far surpassed any genre labelling. Essentially, you're now a part of the big book of rock and roll alongside of acts like Metallica, Kiss, Eagles, this sort of thing. But just focusing on those first three albums, so they had such a big impact on my life and so many people who are my, my vintage in their 40s, musicians in particular. But uh, I wouldn't ask the question around are you bored with the albums because, of course, they're like your children, I suppose, in some ways. But has it got to the point where you wish the audience yelled out for some of the newer material? Um, no, you know, you really got to realize, you know, if you're playing to 10, 15, 20,000 people, you know, most everyone there wants to hear the songs that they're familiar with. And that, that's kind of just the way it is. And I know I am too, man. When I go see a band, I, I kind of want to hear the stuff I'm familiar with. Mm. But um, I'll tell you, man, you know, we were, we were very, very fortunate to have a singer such as Scott who, who really was a true, true singer, a crooner, if you will. Yeah. And with Scott, with that luxury of having somebody with that level of talent on the melodic side of things, as well as the lyrical side of things, we could give him anything. We could give him anything. And, you know, one of my favorite songs the band has ever done was I Got You off the number four record. And like mm -hmm. just the, the vibe that Scott captured on that is, in my, in my humble opinion, 
So brilliant, man. And uh, it, it just goes from like, I got you just, and even on that album, it just goes from, I got you to like what he did on Atlanta. Mm -hmm. um, the last song on that record to like what he did on down, you know, this is all off one record. And you talk about three real different styles of music, man. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. What was the favorite song that you wrote with Scott? Well, I, I, I think one of my favorites is, is sadly one that Robert wrote with him. I can't take the credit for it when I say sadly. I wish I could take the credit, but it's, it's a song that Robert and Scott wrote called I Got You. I really love that one, man. Hmm. Will that be being played as a part of these, uh, these festival appearances? What's that? Will that be part of the set list on these festival appearances? That's you? I don't think that one will be on the set list. No, we're going to try to cover just... Um, uh, I, I think we're only limited to playing for an hour too because of uh, how many how many bands are on the bill. So I think we're only going to be playing an hour. Yeah, uh, hopefully gotcha. a little more. But we'll try to just cover material from each of the records, you know. Look, your your I would describe well my perception of your partnership with your brother. It's it's almost psychic. Would you agree? Yeah, it's definitely very much one minded. It's very much one mind. We, we can, um, you know, I mean, come on, we, we, we have the same blood coursing through our veins. So it's, uh, it, it really works out well when we're in a writing situation. We really get what one another's trying to say without even having to talk about it, you know? When, when you're writing tunes such as uh, Tripping on a Hole, this sort of thing, and you've got that marvellous interplay between the bass and the guitar, I don't know how else to frame this question because I'm a musician too and I know how hard I have to labour sometimes to get a bass line to work in with a guitar line. But did that stuff come easy? Well, so I want to, I want to just go back a little bit. So Robert or I can't take the credit for writing that one. Mr. Kretz wrote the music to that one. I would say 80% of it. I put in a couple of chords to help glue up the parts, but Eric brought that one to the band back on the tiny music sessions. So, and when I say that Eric wrote most of that song on guitar and he had the drum beat, Robert came up with that bass line. So, um, as I said, man, you know, when, when I bring a song in or Eric in that situation brings a song in, you know, I mean, I'm just going to speak on behalf of like for Robert, like when I bring a song in, Robert mm -hmm. just has that way. He's, he's just so proficient as a bass player. He just kind of plays exactly what you want to hear, you know? It's, uh, gosh, you, you've had this term thrown at you a bit in the past, but it's almost like jazz. And I feel the same way. I'm a fan of Coltrane and Davis, all of the greats. And sometimes I listen to it and I'm like, how did you guys do that? It's just the musical counterpoint that happens. What I'm talking about, it's not necessarily the notes. It's the placement of the notes and when you decide you want to change within the riff. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's almost, it has a lot to do with the space between the notes too, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. so much to do with it too, the space between the notes. And, you know, we're just such great fans of music, man. And, and you know, honestly, man, I, I'm going to really be very, very clear. We don't listen to much rock we don't listen to much rock music. Very rarely. We really are huge fans of jazz. Uh, and I mean, like, you know, 50s and 60s jazz. Uh, we're huge fans of those Bill Evans records. 
Mm. Phenomenal keyboardist, the great Bill Evans. And, um, you know, we love all the stuff that Antonio Carlos Jobim was doing in the 60s and just, uh, you know, all those compositions. And I think a lot of the music that we grew up on that, like, say, our, you know, for Robert and I, that our mom was playing in the house, you know, we were growing mm. up listening to like the Carpenters and Andy Williams and, and like Bacharach, a lot of Bacharach. And I think that stuff kind of um, stayed with us and kind of, you know, kind of came out in a lot of our writing. And that, and that, that was one of the, one of the blueprints of STP that I really, really enjoyed was just taking really, really nice chordings, whether you would call them what you want, if they're jazz chordings or bossa nova chordings, but just really beautiful chordings, uh, not just your typical power chord per se, but taking these really beautiful voicings and putting them in a rock format. And that mm. was always kind of our blueprint. Yeah. That, that sums it up. There you go. You've got to go straight to the source, haven't you, to find out how things work. work. And I've just done that. Thanks for sharing that. That, uh, that solves a bit of a riddle that, um, that uh, I had going on. So I want to talk about something a bit different. God knows I've, I haven't heard you be asked about this in a while because I've certainly listened to enough of your interviews, but talk show, was that an important aspect? Is that an important aspect of your career? Uh, yeah, that was that was a uh, uh, that was an important record for us. Uh, you know, I don't, I mean, I guess importance, I don't know if importance is the right word. I don't think it's a very important, I don't think any of our music is very important, but, um, that record was a really nice record to make because it was just, as I said, man, you know, sometimes, and you as a musician, know, man, you know that sometimes when you just, you're able to get a song that is within your heart and within your soul and within your head, when you finally get to hear it coming out of the speakers, it's, it's rather cathartic. Mm. You know, it's, 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 it's almost puts you at ease, gives you some peace. So, you know, that was just another one of those records where that music had been kind of kicking around. And when we got to record it and, you know, see it through and, you know, sit back and hear it come out of the speakers. I mean, that's, that's where it all feels really good. You know, mm. I actually exchange emails with Dave Coots. I've interviewed him before and uh, I'm going to say to you what I said to him. I thought he was the perfect singer for you guys. So at any stage after the fact, was there ever conversations about potentially bringing him back into the fold? I'm sorry. What was that? Dave Coots as a singer. Just yeah. with everything going on, I thought he was a he was a marvelous singer for you guys. I, I actually I got to be honest. I think Talk Show is my favorite album from you guys, and uh, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I, think <it'd> be, <laughs> I know it's a bit of reverse engineering. With, with, you know, in terms of I got certainly was into all of the other material beforehand, but it was just that era. Was I think nineteen ninety seven was a special year for a lot of reasons because rock was on the outer, as you probably remember. Electronica was the big thing. The Rolling Stone didn't give a shit about rock. But here you guys came out with an album that I thought was, I still think is extremely underrated. And most people, certainly fans of Stone Temple Pilots, I don't know whether they they know that it's out there, but there it is. But just on, on your partnership with Dave, I think it's a magnificent partnership. And my question was, did you ever think about bringing him back into the fold as the singer for the band? Uh, I don't think his voice was really appropriate for Stone Temple Pilots. And that's, I think that's how talk show um came about we really 
wanted to explore uh, Dave's tonality and his um, range. You know, we really, really wanted to explore that. And I think that's how the songs kind of came about for that record, just kind of really, um, uh, you know, what, what could we do to best accompany his voice? Well, you did a bloody great job well, <laughs> on that man, on that man. note. You did a, a wonderful so. job. Yeah, no, I said, look, I said the same thing to Dave. I think it's a, new, a supremely underrated album. I don't think you guys get the credit for creating the music that you're doing in there. It was it was as if, look, I don't I don't know, and I can't remember if I spoke about this with Dave, but um, it was like as if the record company just supported it for about a month or two and then just dropped it. Well, look, man, you know. Um, STP uh, kept the lights on for a little while over there at Atlantic Records, and the last thing they wanted to see that thing go down the tube. So mm-hmm. I think they were they were very very kind, very supportive, very open to the fact for us to go and do this. But I think I think they kind of felt like, hey, let the guys get this out of their system, and hopefully STP comes back to the table, you know. Mm-hmm. And it eventually did, of course, but. Uh, you know, Atlantic was a great place to be, man. It was a really, really great place to be. And, uh, you know, look, we all had had success, you know, and with that success, we were able to keep making records and keep recording and keep going out on the road. So, you know, there's a lot of gratitude that comes with that, of course, but man, Atlantic was, was a great place to be, man. Just, uh, the history that comes along with that label is overwhelming, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, it is. It's huge. Yeah. Oh, it's huge. And it's, yeah, I know they've been great supporters of rock music in the past, no doubt. And, and I, I think fans are just grateful that, that you had such a, a platform that could get your music into the far reaches of the universe, which included Australia way back in the nineties, as far away as we were in the media sense back then. So that might be it for me, uh, Dean, unfortunately. I think I've got to wrap up my time, but um, I'll leave you with one final point. I would love it if you could play Hello, Hello on, on the uh, Under the Southern Stars shows. But if it doesn't happen, I'm still going to be in the audience there, man. So thank you for creating well, music. You better, you better stop by and say hello, would you please? I will, yeah. I'm going to be at the uh, Gold Coast or Brisbane show, okay? And I'll introduce myself if I manage to get backstage. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Please do, man. Yeah, will do, mate. Well, thank you so much, mate. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. Nice talking with you. No worries, mate. Have a great one. Cheers. Catch up. There he is, ladies and gentlemen, guitarist extraordinaire Dean DeLeo from Stone Temple Pilots and Talk Show. If you like what you heard, go across to scarsandguitars.com where there are many conversations that are of a similar vein to that one mainly featuring leading lights from heavy metal, extreme metal, and beyond. And if reading takes your fancy, do check out my book. It's out now or soon to be out, depending when you listen. Okay, so right now as I'm doing this narration, it is the 17th of February. It might as well be out now because the 20th of February is the release date of my book, Scars and Guitars, Volume 1, Conversations from the World of Heavy Metal and Beyond. In my next edition Dean will absolutely feature amongst its pages. Go across to scarsandguitars.com for volume one. Follow the prompts, go to the books tab, and you can either pre-order before the 20th of February 
or you can purchase it if it's afterwards via the retail outlet of your choice. Of course, that means it's an ebook. I don't know when I'll do the physical copy sometime in the near future and I'll put them up for sale on the website if that's your thing. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. It's a very goodbye for now.